Greetings, and welcome to Ashram's podcast series. Today, Bill O'Neill, Director of Communications and Outreach at the Center for Personalized Education for Physicians, presents Knowledge Equals Power, Clinical Competence Intervention as a Risk Reduction Strategy. CETAP, the Center for Personalized Education for Physicians, is a nonprofit organization working in the clinical competence assessment and education field. We cover all 50 states plus Canada, from offices in Denver, Colorado, and Raleigh, North Carolina. Today, I'm going to talk with you about competence assessment and education, including remedial education, and how those tools can be used as part of an overall risk reduction strategy. Now, I'm sure that everyone listening is very concerned with improving the quality of patient care and reducing the incidence of malpractices. It turns out that several years ago, the American Association of Family Physicians published an approach to reducing risk that emphasized what they referred to as the four C's. These are competence, compassion, communication, and charting. While the AAFP listed these as separate categories, at CPEP, we tend to think that compassion, communication, and accurate charting are all intrinsic components of competence. As a result, we include all of them in our clinical competence assessments. While most of us would agree that the risk of negligent care is real, relatively few of us could accurately define the size of that risk pool. With that in mind, let's turn to the literature. Tabor's Medical Dictionary defines discompetence as, quote, poor professional performance in a number of crucial or expected skills, unquote. A study published in the Journal of Continuing Education in the Health Professions estimated that between 6% and 12% of U.S. physicians were discompetent. If correct, that means that between 55,000 and 110,000 physicians practicing in the U.S. today exhibit crucial deficiencies. That translates to a very large risk pool, risky for patients and organizations alike. In recent years, there's been an increased focus by regulators and the public at large on patient safety and quality of care. Today, more than ever, there is an expectation that physicians be held accountable for the quality of the care they provide. For hospitals, there is even the risk of negligent credentialing, the risk of granting staff privileges that are not backed up by documented credentials. Hospital systems also face increased risk as physicians move from independent practice to employment. As practices are bought up and physicians become employees of the acquiring hospital systems, the liability that previously rested with the practice can migrate to the new owner. Changing reimbursement models introduce another source of risk. As payers move to value or population health models and away from fee-for-service payments, revenues are increasingly tied to health outcomes and patient satisfaction. With 2020 hindsight, it can be easy to see signs of high-risk situations involving physician performance. These might include procedures that result in significant patient harm, physicians or other staff that receive multiple complaints from patients or other staff members, or health issues that lead to questions about fitness for duty. At CPEP, we wondered if there were a way to predict levels of physician performance, at least within the context of a clinical competence assessment. In an attempt to find out, we performed a retrospective analysis of 683 physicians assessed at CPAP between 2000 and 2010. Physicians were evaluated using our clinical competence approach, which I'll describe in more detail in a few minutes. For purposes of this analysis, they were categorized as either safe or unsafe to practice. The results produced a fairly normal distribution, an approximate bell curve. Around 15% performed extremely well, 
no deficiencies or minimal deficiencies were revealed. At the other end of the spectrum, 13% performed extremely poorly, revealing profound deficiencies. By CFEP standards, these individuals in the bottom 13% were deemed unsafe to practice independently. The question, however, was this. Were there identifiable characteristics that could predict a physician's performance? We looked at a number of variables, including personal characteristics, such as age, specialty, and country of training. Practice characteristics. Were they in solo practice or a group practice setting? Did the scope of their practice match with their training? We also looked at their referral factors. Was there any previous discipline by a medical licensing body? And what was the source of the referral? For example, did the referral come from a hospital or from a licensing body? Once the analysis was complete, we found that there were indeed a few characteristics with some predictive capability. We found that age was a factor. Participants were more likely to have an unsafe outcome for each year of increasing age. We found that general practitioners or physicians who did not complete full residency and those in solo practice were more likely to have an unsafe outcome, as were those with current or previous actions against their license. Not surprisingly, physicians who were board certified and or whose practice scope matched their training were less likely to have an unsafe outcome. So what exactly is a clinical competence assessment? A clinical competence assessment is a deep and comprehensive look at a clinician's medical or surgical skills, knowledge, and judgment. It's different than a chart review as it considers factors and situations beyond problematic cases and looks to identify root causes of deficiencies should any exist. Generally speaking, Clinicians participating in such an assessment have been ordered to do so either by a medical licensing board or a medical executive committee. Occasionally, clinicians will self-refer or are referred by their attorneys. Nationally, there is a small community of organizations that do this work. Let's take a few minutes to go behind the scenes and examine the nuts and bolts of what competence assessment and educational intervention is all about. Since I work for one of these groups, I'm going to focus on the techniques we use at CPEP since I know them best. At the same time, most assessment services in the U.S. use some variation of this method, although each has their own unique spin. I want to emphasize that our focus here is on finding a problem, if it exists, and then fixing it. Our goal is not to find so-called bad docs and flush them out of the system. Our belief is that physicians and other professionals are important assets to their community. Our purpose is to work with them so they can remain in practice in a manner that is safe and effective for patients. When we're successful, we're helping to reduce risk for patients and institutions alike. There are several components to these assessments. Generally, we conduct a neuropsychological screen that looks for signs of cognitive slippage. We assess participants' knowledge via multiple-choice exams put together by the National Board of Medical Examiners. And we also assess their knowledge as well as skills and judgment through a series of interviews with specialty-matched physicians. Participants' communication and documentation skills are evaluated through a series of simulated patient encounters. And for proceduralists, we may also utilize technical simulations to assess motor skills. The end result is a highly detailed report, generally 25 to 30 pages long, that details any relative weaknesses, if any, and provides rationale for those conclusions. External assessments of this type provide a range of benefits for both participants and the organizations who refer them. To begin with, an objective third-party assessment removes even the perception of organizational bias. This ensures fair treatment for the participant 
and credibility for the referring organization. In addition, comprehensive assessment and detailed report provide far greater insight than chart reviews alone. Finally, that report can lead to an educational plan that can help bring the participant back to safe, confident practice. Over time, we have found that about two-thirds of our assessment participants can benefit from completing a structured educational plan specifically tailored to their individual needs. The specific activities, intensity, and length of the plan are determined by areas of educational need identified in the assessment as well as by the participant's own motivation. The focus is on acquiring knowledge and applying it to actual practice with measurable performance objectives. And the goal is to achieve and sustain improvements in practice. Common elements of an educational plan include medical knowledge enhancement, consisting of both evidence-based self-study and structured CME courses and activities. Many also include point-of-care experience, which requires an active medical license. The participant may begin the process with direct supervision by a preceptor and then progress through decreasing levels of supervision, ultimately caring for patients independently. The pace of progress is not predetermined and depends upon participant performance. Now, with all that in mind, you might ask, does this work? To find out, CPEP conducted a study of participant recidivism examining cases of 102 participants who completed CPEP assessments and educational plans. Our researchers looked for evidence of additional licensing board actions against participants related to clinical competence over the course of several years. We found that approximately 90% were successful, meaning they did not have subsequent actions related to quality of their care during the study period. So let's return for a moment to the concept of the four C's that we addressed at the beginning of this conversation. As a reminder, they are competence, compassion, communication, and charting. And the concept is that when all four of these are in place, the risk of malpractice liability is reduced. CPEP, as well as other organizations nationally, have additional resources in place to address all of them. In conjunction with the Vanderbilt University Center for Professional Health, CPEP has a resource in place to address competence in prescribing controlled drugs. The course, titled Prescribing Controlled Drugs, Critical Issues, and Common Pitfalls, was developed by Vanderbilt and is offered at their Nashville campus, as well as at our offices in Denver and at the University of Florida at Gainesville. Designed for those who may be in trouble and for those who want to stay out of trouble, the seminar teaches prescribers strategies for identifying drug-seeking patients and for managing those difficult situations. It also helps them understand their own motivations in the prescribing process. In other words, why do I say yes to these patients when I know I should say no? The components of communication and compassion are combined in two other CPEC courses. The first is titled Improving Interprofessional Communication, Working Effectively in Medical Teams, and is intended for health professionals who struggle in their communication and with respectful interaction with colleagues. Over the course of two and a half days, participants examine their behavior across seven metrics, including overall treatment of staff members, the ability to manage frustrations, and the ability to stay calm in frustrating situations. Participants head back to their workplace with a specific action plan to repair damaged relationships and improve team dynamics. Other organizations, such as the Professional Renewal Center in Lawrence, Kansas, have other excellent resources in place for physicians who are truly disruptive or distressed. More information on that resource can be found at prckansas.org.
Based on content from the Institute for Healthcare Communication, CPAP is now offering advanced skills in clinician-patient communication designed to help clinicians refine and enhance their patient communication skills, particularly in difficult situations such as disclosing unanticipated medical outcomes. Charting is the last of the four C's, and CPAP and other organizations have programs in place to help in that area. The CPAP Medical Record Keeping Seminar is a one-day course that helps learners improve their understanding of basic, professionally accepted documentation principles and explore strategies for overcoming barriers to good documentation. Another respected resource in this area is the medical record-keeping course offered by the PACE program at the University of California at San Diego. In conclusion, if the AAFP is correct, increasing the competence of physicians and other clinicians is a fundamental building block of risk management and risk reduction. When appropriate levels of technical skill are combined with clear, accurate communication and compassionate care, Patients are safer, satisfaction scores are higher, and potential liability is reduced. Information on additional assessment and education programs can be found online at the website of the Federation of State Medical Boards, FSMD.org. From their homepage, use the search function and enter Physician Assessment Services for a complete list of approved resources. Thanks for listening. Please visit ashram.org for more information and educational offerings.